Why don't we all stand together? We're going to read our verse, uh, our passage today. This morning, we're going to take a look at uh, Psalm 32. And I'm going to start a new series of messages. It's about uh, finding the will of God for your life. And um, I think one of the things that we want to talk about is how important forgiveness is in finding God's will for your life. A lot of times we don't connect forgiveness and the will of God, but God connects it very closely. And so uh, if we uh, look at Psalm 32, we're going to start with verse 3 through 9. And uh, you're welcome to read along with me or read aloud along with me. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you, while you may be found. Surely the rising of mighty waters will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye on you. Do not be like a horse or a mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Amen. God bless the reading of his words. You may be seated. Today I want to talk about the person that wrote this uh, this passage of scripture in the Psalms is, of course, David. Uh, David is coming off probably one of the worst seasons in his life. He was supposed to go out to war with the army, and he decided to stay home. While he was on his rooftop, just uh, wasting time, he spotted a woman taking a bath. Her name was Bathsheba, and uh, that's how you can always remember her name. And then he, uh, being the king, he summoned her to come to his house, and uh, they committed adultery. Bathsheba was married to one of the officers, Uriah. And so what had happened is uh, she became pregnant. Uh, David decided to try to uh, cover this up, this sin up, by having Uriah come back from the war and sleep with his wife so that he would think, that the child was his and not David's. And Uriah was such a loyal soldier that he stayed in the palace and would not go back home and even see his wife. Because he said, if the other soldiers are out in the battle and I'm here, I don't feel right about going home. And David tried as much as he could. He got him drunk. said, Uriah, go back home. He wouldn't do it. And so David brought up this plan. He said, I know how I'll get rid of Uriah. And he called his commander. He wrote a note to his commander. He gave it to Uriah, knowing that Uriah was so loyal, he wouldn't even look at the note, because it was sealed with the king's seal. He takes it back to his commanding officer. The commanding officer reads it. It says, look at, send Uriah to the front of the battle, and when the battle gets gets terrible, pull back away from him, and he'll be killed. That's exactly what happened. David finds out that Uriah has died, and then he says, okay, I'll just take Bathsheba as my wife now. And he had already had several wives already. But he takes Bathsheba as his wife, and then David starts 
this season of unconfessed sin, living as supposed to be God's chosen person, but hiding his sin and hiding and, uh, and uh, trying to not think about what was going on in his life. Maybe he stayed busy, maybe he did things, but he would not repent of his sin. And so when we look at this, we see that God begins to work in David's life because God really wants David to come to an understanding and self-awareness that what he did was sinful, was wrong. Even though David's the king and he has the position and power to do whatever he wants, in God's economy, you just can't do whatever you want. You have to do his will. And so what God does is he begins to press David. And uh, Charles Spurgeon, one of the famous, famous preachers, said this. He says, God's hand is very helpful when it, it uplifts us. But it's awful when it presses down. Better a world on the shoulder of Atlas than God's hand on the heart like David. And what God began to do was press David and begin to convict him of his sin. And so what David did is he began to write this psalm. After this had all occurred, David finally did repent. But what he does is he explains the anatomy of what happens in our lives when we don't come into the light of God's presence and don't surrender ourselves to him or don't confess our sins to him. When we try to cover them up, rationalize them away, become defensive, whatever. David says this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And what David is explaining here is that he is feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit in such a way that he doesn't have any rest. And back then, he didn't have uh, an iPod or computer games to distract himself. (laughs) You know, we can get so busy in our lives that we can ignore the Spirit of God. But I think David was thankful that he couldn't ignore the Spirit of God. In the end, he was thankful, but he was miserable when he wasn't confessing his sin and coming into the light of God's presence. And so, David is in this situation. And he says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. You know that the condition of your soul can affect your physical body? That we are body, soul, and spirit, and they're all connected together. They're not separated from one another. They affect each other. So when we're walking in rebellion to God, sometimes we get physically sick. I'm not saying that all sin or all physical sickness is a result of sin. I'm not saying that. But it has an effect in our lives. Also, you know, that our physical sickness can have an effect on our soul. When we get sick, and, you know, we get sick and tired. We get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right? That can happen as well, too. When we get frustrated, we get angry, we get short with people. It has an effect on our soul. So all these things have an effect on us. And what God wants us to do is come into his presence. The Bible says this, one of the, I mean, not the Bible says this, I say this. One of the greatest gifts from God is our soul pain. I believe this. One of the greatest gifts from God is your, the pain of your soul. 
When our hearts ache for God, his presence, love, and his forgiveness, it points us back to him just like a physical pain can indicate we need to see our doctor. You know, so sometimes when we have physical pain, we know there's something wrong with us. We uh, acknowledge that pain and we go and see a doctor and say, look at doc, this is what's happening in my life. But sometimes with sin, the pain of the soul, we ignore it. We try to cover it up. We try to handle it ourselves. We don't really go to God. But he's the one, just like a surgeon can only operate on your heart, God is the only one that can operate on your soul. He's the only one that can really restore a soul and revitalize a soul. And you know, if we ignore it, it can get much worse. That's why... I think that sometimes the, the greatest gift of God is sometimes the pain of our soul, that he gives us a hunger to want to know him. The Bible says this in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. It says, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So what David was doing, he was trying to cover it up. And because he was a king, he could, he could pretty much do a good job of it. Nobody would confront him because he was the leader and he could, you know, if you, you know, you could get in trouble. But he had one person that came up to him. His name was Nathan. So I like the name Nathan. Because Nathan had the courage to speak up to David when he saw him in his pain and in his soul pain, he spoke into it. And when Nathan spoke into it, David could hear it. He respected Nathan. Nathan did it in such a creative way that he told the story. And then uh, David acknowledged that what had happened to a man that had had a little lamb. And a rich man came and took that lamb and slaughtered it, even though he had hundreds of lambs. And he took it from that man. who This lamb was his pet. It was his very only pet. And David said, that's so wrong. Get that man in here. Let's, we're going to execute him. And then you know what Nathan said? You're the man. Sometimes when we have this self-awareness, it's a gift from God. If you're not self-aware, you know what's worse than soul pain? Is not even being aware that we're sinning. That's the worst. That we're so deceived... And we think we've rationalized it so much that we've just pushed it away. We say, I'm, I'm not really not sinning. Even though the Bible says it's sin, I'm, I, but I'm not sinning. And I've talked to people like that, and they've made choice after choice to go further down that road of sin. And unfortunately, I've got calls from relatives that said, you know, especially guys that I used to work with in the inner city. They died an early death. Why? Because they kept on doing the things that they knew God didn't want them to do. And they suffered the consequences of those things. But he who covers his sin, see, will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes his sin, they'll have mercy. And the mercy of God is like the best thing that you could possibly have in your life. When God doesn't give us what we deserve. 
but he gives us forgiveness. He gives us grace and mercy in our lives. Some look at David's life and they say, well, if David can, if God can forgive David, he can forgive everyone, anyone. And it's true. God can forgive anyone. But you see what happened with David was he came into a deeper repentance. He didn't just say, you know, I'm going to do this thing and later on I'm going to ask God for forgiveness and then I'm going to go and do it again. And so presuming on God's forgiveness is a very dangerous place to be. That's not restorative forgiveness. It's not the kind of forgiveness that changes your life. The kind of forgiveness that changes your life is, it goes along with deeper repentance. It says, you know, this is an offense to God. And I respect God so much and I fear him and the consequences that I am better off running away from this sin than embracing it. I'm better off cutting off this sin from my life than continuing to do it. Why? Because sin has consequence in our life. And that's the reason why the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and tells us, this is not right. You need to change here. So God shows David mercy, gives him another son through Bathsheba. The guy's name is what? Solomon. Solomon. Solomon was the next king, became the next king. So God totally forgave David of his sin. Right? But what happens to Solomon is that he and David's family, the consequence of the sin is this, that David's family begins to go on this sexual sin spree. He has incest. One of David's sons rapes his sister. There's this um, Solomon ends up with 700 wives, 300 concubines. His other son tries to usurp the kingdom from him, Absalom. And then sleeps with some of David's wives. So there's so much sexual sin that goes on after David commits this sexual sin with Bathsheba. The consequences affect the whole family. You see, because whatever we sow, we reap. So even though God forgives, there's consequences. And you can't always get away from those consequences. But David, this psalm gives us so much hope. And um, for us to be restored by the Lord, to really understand that, I believe that we have to understand what the anatomy of temptation and sin is. So I want to go back to Genesis chapter 4, just really briefly, because I believe that God begins to show a lot of what temptation and what sin is right from the very beginning in creation in Genesis 4. In Genesis 4, you know the story of Cain and Abel, right? Two brothers, but they don't get along. All right? They, they both offer an offering to the Lord, 
And God accepts Abel's offering, but Cain's offering he doesn't accept. And so you would say, gee, that's not fair. Why does God accept Abel's offering, which was a lamb, and Cain's offering, which was just some fruit? And so Abel's offering was accepted, and it was a blood sacrifice, and that was part of what God was going to do. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So that's why Christ came, but it was a foreshadowing of something. But regardless, God said, Abel, great sacrifice. Cain, you got to work on it. And Cain goes, what do you mean? That's not fair. I mean, are you kidding me? That is not fair, God. I mean, I gave you something. My brother gave you something. You love my brother more than you love me. That's not fair. And so he began to be jealous and envious of Abel. Cain did. And so God doesn't just let this go, but he takes the time to speak into Cain's life. He begins to say, Cain, there's going to be some soul pain here. If you keep on going like this, your anger and the things that are happening in your life, they're an indicator that something is wrong. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It's like a lion crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you. Its desire is, sin's desire is to place us in bondage where we follow sin instead of we follow God. That has always been the plan of Satan and sin. But you must rule over it. You must have authority over it. Obviously, Cain did not. He goes out and he murders his brother. Cain, you know, the story's still out on Cain whether he repented or not. But what we see is that David did repent. David said this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You know, if, if we are willing to acknowledge our sin to God, not cover it up, confess it, God will forgive us of our sin and even the guilt of it. That's why I say to some people, if you're still living in shame of something from the past that you've confessed to God already, then you're not really understanding forgiveness. Because forgiveness from God wipes it clean. It's totally, totally wiped clean. Now, you may have some regrets. You may have some consequences from that. But in fact, you're standing before God. If he's truly forgiven you, there is a closeness that is restored that you should celebrate the mercy of God. And you should walk in that mercy of God and the joy of forgiveness. That's what David did. 1 John 1, verse 8 through uh, verse uh, chapter 2 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. This is not up on the overhead, but listen to this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And see, what God wants us to do, when we sin, He wants us to run to Him. He doesn't want us to run away from Him. He wants us to run to Him because we have an advocate, and it's Jesus Christ. And He stands at the right hand of the Father, and He says, I have died for that, for, for Al. He's covered with my blood. He's confessing his sins to you, Father. Forgive him. And we are forgiven. Jesus would often tell, would often speak about forgiveness. Do you remember the story that Jesus, uh, the incident that happened with Jesus when he went to the, he was invited to the Pharisee's house. And the Pharisee had a nice dinner for Jesus And then in the midst of the dinner, a woman comes up and begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears. And the Pharisee who invited Jesus to this uh, dinner is trying to figure out who Jesus is. And he begins begins to make this conclusion. Okay, if, if he really is the Messiah, he would know what kind of woman this is that's crying at his feet because she is definitely a prostitute. And why is he allowing her to touch him, weep at his feet, and then open up perfume and put it on his feet? And so Jesus begins, he knows what the guy is thinking. And so he begins this conversation with him. uh, And he says... um, Jesus tells him a story. He says, uh, Simon, the guy's Pharisee's name was Simon. He says, Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. One guy had 500 pieces of silver loaned to him. One had 50 pieces. He said, neither one of them could repay their debts, so he forgave both of them their debts. Which one do you think loved him more? And Simon says, well, I suppose the one who had whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus says, that's right. That's right. And Jesus is telling this while this woman's crying at his feet. This guy must be thinking, she's still still crying. And Jesus is just so calm during this whole time. He's telling this story. Then he turned to the woman and said to her, Uh, Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. And then he says this, I tell you, her sins, and though they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. 
Do you see what happens here? This woman understood forgiveness. And because she understood forgiveness, she loved God all the more. She worshipped God with everything she had. You know, sometimes when we're in a worship service, when we're in church, or when we're serving the Lord, it's kind of like we have apathy. And I wonder if that apathy comes from not realizing how much God has forgiven each of us of our sin. How much has He forgiven? And now if we look at somebody else who's a worse sinner than us, we may say, well, that person needs a lot more forgiveness than I do. We'd be looking at it like Simon the Pharisee would look at it. What Jesus was saying is, she's not any more a worse sinner than you are, Simon. It's just that you don't see it. You're not self-aware. And so the understanding of being aware of our sin, it's the same thing that happened to David. He wasn't aware of what he had done. I mean, he was aware of it, but he didn't really take action on the consequence of it. He didn't run to God right away. For a year, David just hid in his room or or was suffering with his unconfessed sin. But this is what David does do. He says this, when he does become aware that he needs to confess his sins to God, he says, therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of mighty waters will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. So David begins to make this turn in his life after Nathan confronts him, and he begins then to confess his sin. And if you read Psalm 51, you would see the the confession that David makes, and he says, Lord, I've really sinned against you. He sinned against Uriah, he sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against the country, he sinned against the nation, he sinned against his family. But David actually saw his sin as a direct affront to God that cut off his relationship with God. There was no more closeness there. And that caused David a huge amount of soul pain in his life until he, he came out into the light, he became honest with God, and he said, Lord, I just, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I need your forgiveness. And he became specific about it. Then what David says is this. God says to David, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. So how does forgiveness tie into the will of God? It ties very closely into the will of God. You can't know the will of God while you're living in deception or sin. It's very hard to discern the will of God in deception and sin. We get confused. We don't hear from God. We don't understand the Bible. We, uh, get con- we, we begin to believe lies instead of the truth. Our anger causes us to make vows that push us further away from the people that we love. 
And pretty soon we become more and more isolated, more left to ourselves. And what happens is that it causes consequences in our lives. That's why I really believe we should invite people to Alpha. Because we all know people, <coughs> we all know people that are, could be struggling in their lives with soul pain. I know I was at one time in my life. I did not know God's will. I didn't even have a care for God. I didn't, I didn't even know what soul pain was. And people need to understand God's love and His forgiveness. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you, God says, with my loving eye on you. And then He says, don't be like a horse or a mule which have no understanding. Must be controlled by bit and bridle or they're not come to you. You know, God wants us to be people that look at him as a loving father that could be trusted, that wants the very best for us. Lori and I just got a new little member to our family, a little puppy. Yeah. Now, those, the little puppy, when I wake up in the morning and I let him out of his crate, it's like, yeah, he's like all over me, man. He's like kissing me, loving me. It's so good, you know? feels good. He's not like running away from me. He knows that <coughs> there's a couple things I'm going to do. One of them, I'm going to take him outside and let him go to the bathroom. But the other thing I'm doing, I'm going to bring him inside and I'm going to give him a treat. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to train him. I'm going to counsel him. I'm going to instruct him. Now, God does so much more because we're his children. We're his children. So the question I have before you, are you acting like a rebellious horse or mule, or are you trusting like a child would? Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come to me. Come to me. There's a song that I really like as I was listening to this. Is it Cody Carnes? It's Run to the Father. Maybe we could do that sometime next week. I've carried a burden for far too long on my own. I, was created to, I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. I see it now. I'm laying it down. And I know that I need you. I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with hiding. No reason to wait. My heart needs and has found a surgeon. My heart needs and has found a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again, again and again. We run to the Father because He loves us, because He's willing to forgive us. And David knew that. He understood that. And we even know it even more. We have a greater revelation because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I mean, it's absolute forgiveness for us in Christ. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be forgiven and made righteous before God. Because of the cross, this is what Pastor Pete Wilson says. I'm going to close with this. Because of the cross, we don't have to minimize our regret or deny our regret for our sins. We don't have to deny sin or minimize our sin. We bring it all of it, all our sins, all our regrets to the foot of the cross. We release them because God is a forgiving God. He is forgiving. He loves us. He cares about us. So I pray that you will come to the Father today. Even as we prepare for communion today, as we're singing this next song, as our worship team comes and, and uh, leads us in this next song, um, one of the things that I want us to do is really come to the Father. In your quietness of where you are, uh, when we stand for this uh, song of worship and song of response, if you need to take time, stop singing and just confess something to God, do that. But let it, bring it out into the light. Bring it out in, into the light with God. And if you're struggling with something that is really life-controlling and you need help, then you need to talk to somebody. You can talk to me. You can talk to somebody that you trust, care about, that's spiritually mature. If you have somebody that in your life that you could talk to, do that. Talk to them. Because God wants to bring restoration. David at least had a friend like Nathan who went up to him and talked to him and then there, there was a change that happens there. There was restoration that happened. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word to us about forgiveness and understanding the will of God. And Lord, you want us to understand forgiveness so much. You want us to experience full forgiveness and having a relationship with you. I pray, Father, that you will um, just continue speaking to us today, even as we gather around the communion table. Lord, we pray that we would come close to you, run to you, in our spirit, in our soul, because you're the answer for our soul pain. You're the answer for forgiveness of our sin. And we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.